where you live shouldn't limit your access to quality internet. That's not fair. U.S. Cellular introduces fast and fair high-speed internet. With reliable home internet from U.S. Cellular, now there's no limit to how you stream, game, and work. So instead of this, you get this. Upgrade to fast and fair high-speed internet from U.S. Cellular. Upgrade to fair. Welcome to the Courageous Recovery Broadcast. I'm your host, Randy Mortensen. This is a 15-minute weekly podcast where we provide answers for your I don't know how. Whether you're dealing with recovery issues, emotions from a loss, or life has just thrown you one more curveball than you were expecting, I'm glad you're here. Today, it's just a huge blessing for me to have my friend, Dr. Paul Campbell, who's an innovation consultant and co-founder of Brown Venture Group with me. It's always great to see that we do have people literally from coast to coast uh, listening in and, and joining us for, for this broadcast. Thank you for taking time from your busy schedules to connect. And if you're on the Facebook page, please just comment with any thoughts or, or any, any questions. More information, as usual, is, is, is available at randymortensen.com. That's randymortensen, M-O-R-T-E-N-S-E-N.com. Later in the show, I will talk more about the 21-point assessment that's a tool to determine whether you or a loved one qualifies for one of my programs called the Lifestyle Champion Cohort. So with that, Dr. Paul Campbell, I want to welcome you to the to the show today, and thank you for taking time to, to be with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Randy. I appreciate it. It's good to see you. Likewise, likewise, likewise. It, I, I guess what we should share is is we used to office together. How many years ago was that? Ten years ago, maybe. About that, it was getting there pretty much. <laughs> yeah, or somewhere thereabouts. I I, I guess so. Um, it's it's great to have you and and. My my usual first question is, what is there that you know today that that you wish the 22-year-old Paul Campbell would have known? I, I love this question. It's a question that I actually ask a lot of people, too. Maybe not 22, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, for me, it's, 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 it's um, Paul, be patient. You have a lot, of, a lot of ideas, a lot of things, but you have to understand timing. And, uh, and I, sometimes we get passionate. I, I was really passionate about things. And I kind of, as my wife Becca would say, as I, you know, uh, fire aim ready versus ready aim fire. And, um, I've definitely learned patience is a necess- necessity so that I could get what we need to get accomplished. So definitely patience. Good, good. good. Patience. Yeah. And maybe, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll be given that gift of a little more patience myself <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. But, but we're both get or done guys, right? Yep. And it's yep. hard to have patience and get it done. But I, I, I just love your background. You've, you've served on some nonprofit boards. You've done a good amount of community service work. I think your background even includes some time at Coca-Cola, Sprint and Oracle. Yep. So Tell tell us tell the listeners what what's what's Dr. Paul Campbell doing today? Talk a little bit about the Brown Venture Group, if you would, please. Yeah, so so Brown Venture Group was actually a birth out of experience that I had um, 
with um, an employment, being an employer actually at the time at Sprint, um, there, you know, I had always been taught not to be a victim, right? Don't, don't accept a victim card, don't play the race card. And so for a good amount of my career, I chose to kind of ignore it because I didn't, I didn't want that to be an issue. Um, I always, I mean, I've seen, observed in my own career that there's been many times objectively that I've been three or four times better than the person that they wound up selecting just because they were more comfortable with that person. Um, and and not, not to say because I'm a bad person to communicate, but they're just racially speaking, they were more comfortable. And so for a long time, I just kind of ignored the issue. But then I had this one experience where I applied for this role. The, the, the role required relationships that were strategic in the Twin Cities, uh, roles, relationships that I had because of the work I've done and volunteer work and things like that. Um, I'd, I turned around a portion of a business that was was bleeding customers when I first picked it up um, and, you know, was became number one in, in, in sales and what, what I was doing. But when I applied for the job, they 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 get it to a gentleman who I had worked with in the past, who I knew I'm not saying I'm a better person than he was, but I was definitely objectively more prepared. I had by that time I had two doctor, not two doctors, I had two masters. Um, I had done all the, all the checked all the boxes, and that was the thing I kept on hearing. Hey, Paul, you know you have this, but you need to do that. And if you just do this, then you can mm-hmm. somehow you know get this role. And I started to realize, you know. This, this story, I mean, maybe there's something more that I'm not really paying attention to. And so when I had this rejection, it was kind of my aha moment. It's like, you know, maybe, just maybe, it's not always about being the victim. Maybe, just maybe, there's actually some biases that, that you know, we need to address. And so this caused me to do a deep dive into this. I didn't want to just be a victim, but I wanted to understand what was actually going on to see how I can solve the problem. Because one thing I, you know, you know people know about me is anybody can point out a problem. It's another thing to try to solve it. And so right. I wanted to be, figure out how can I solve this problem. And so there was a gentleman in, in the Twin Cities who I'd connected with, for, you know, years ago, uh, Chris Brooks, you, who you know. And know, uh, Chris yeah. and I, you know, he's been a big, a big on biblical justice and social justice. And I said, Chris, at some point, you and I could be doing something. I don't know what it's going to be. And um, I said, I called him up one day. I said, Chris, I got it. We need to start a company that's focused on, you know, helping uh, minorities and people of color launch businesses. We both had a lot of entrepreneurial experiences and things like that. Um, and then later on, we actually had uh, another a gentleman by the name of Jerome Hamilton, who has been a successful businessman, CEO, um, was an executive at 3M. And we said, guys, let's let's do this together. And the interesting thing about it is all of us had a background of being bivocationally trained ministry and business. So that was kind of a connection that we both cared about and also high capacity individuals. So I started Brown Venture Group and what led me to the platform of technology as an entrepreneurship was birthed out of some of the, the uh, research I had done and experience I had in the technology space. I was there when the iPhone was launched, you know, back in 2007. Um, um, I seen a lot of different research from behavior economics that led me to believe that this route would actually be a route that actually can change things versus kind of repeating the same, same old, um, pattern that we've done in the past so right right yeah i, I was you, you already beat me to it i was going to have you talk about the three of you with with chris brooks and and jerome jerome hamilton so let's come back to them for yep. a, after a few minutes but I, I was i was so impressed with a piece that you wrote titled selective capitalism and the dehumanization of people of color and I read it. I've, I've I've probably read it a half a dozen times now, and <laughs> and I just keep scratching my head over. You know, here we have Minnesota nice. Uh, you know, I'm a native of Minnesota, 
and lived in the Twin Cities. And, and, and yet, some of the statistics you shared with me when we spoke, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe. Can you share those with the audience? I mean, it just makes my head hurt. Um, share some of those stats, if you would, please. Yeah, so I'll preface that by saying these stats weren't the kind of stats that people try to use just to, um, you know, sell something to say. It was, it was just raw data I was looking at, right? Uh, so the first piece of data was this, venture capital. So our company is a venture capital firm. Why did I choose a platform of venture capitalists with a model of the accelerator model? Well, at my research, it turned out that three, only 3% of venture capital goes into entrepreneurs of color, which includes Latinos, African-Americans, so forth and so on. Okay, let's oh, say that again. 3%. 3% of venture capital wow. goes into invest into entrepreneurs of color. Okay. And so I said, okay, is, uh, why is that? Is, is there a, a, a talent gap? Is there a capacity gap? What's going on with that story? And another research I found interesting was African-American women um, of this group of 3%, um, actually the total population of venture capital, 0.006% gets funded. But African-American women were, uh, by our own government, uh, listed as the most educated and entrepreneurial group in the entire country. Wow. So I said, okay, why? So if there's talent capacity, why is there not more investment? Obviously, some of that had to do with some of the racial discounting that occurs with folks. Another thing interesting about the Twin Cities, as you had alluded to, is, you know, in I, one of our companies, Unbiased here, who uh, was starting to focus on um, hiring practices and building networks that would help retain um, uh, talent, they started, they, they uncovered, and we uncovered that. 77% of, of people that come to Twin Cities leave within three years. So why is that? Because there's no connection points. There's no places of businesses that they can say, hey, where do I get my haircut? Where do I, you know, buy the, the materials that I use for my own ethical, you know, cooking styles and things like that. None of that was available or, or, and that's why people left because of lack of a connection. So and that's three out of every four people that have come now. These are people with degrees or master level mm -hmm. or, or whatever to one of the major organizations, I'm guessing in the Twin yep. Cities, three out of four leave within the first three years. Yep. Is that what you said? Wow. Three years. Wow. And it's based upon um, just more of a cultural thing. And so companies, is, is, as much as they want to have diversity inclusion uh, programs, they, can't, they can do it internally, but they can't do it externally. Right. And so the problem that has to, it occurs to solve it, you have to solve an external problem. So we talked about creating a scorecard, you know, that would provide, as most executives know, you, you need sponsorships, not just mentorships, sponsorships of people that would help you go along the way. And the scorecard couldn't just be internal. It had to be the external component too. What do people think about, you know, this company in terms of diversity, inclusion, and things like that? So that was some of the data that, that you know, came out of, out of that research project from there. Um, you know, some other things, too, is uh, recently uh, there's been uh, by 24-7 Wall Street did a report um, where they look, they're looking at the most, um, where is the worst place in the, in the country for African-Americans to live? Oddly enough, four, 13, I think, of the 15 uh, different locations that were on this list were in the Midwest. And people say, well, that's surprising. Why wouldn't it be down south, you know? And, and what they, uh, Minnesota of that, of the Twin Cities was ranked number four. Wow. 
So as people are trying to understand how could this be, why is there so much frustration and animosity in Minnesota? Why are people looting and things like that? They're assuming that the problem just now occurred. But not, and then every, every parent that I know of wants to make sure that their kids have a good education, have a place where they can grow and thrive and develop, you know, human flourishing. Well, Minnesota has the, the worst, um, the Twin Cities area specifically has the worst graduation rates for people of color. So again, all this data is it's spewing under, it's kind of bubbling underneath, causing frustration and, and, and animosity towards people. And then you have over-policing that happens right. as a result of some of the biases, which we can get in a little later. But right. this, these, are, these are facts, right? This is not my opinion. This is not what I want it to be. My own personal experience was much different than many of my African-American brothers and sisters. I came here to the Twin Cities with nothing. You know, came back. I was born here, but I came back here with nothing. And I was able to find great jobs and different things like that. But I didn't have the mobility that I, you know, looking back that I should have had. Um, but that's just where we're at. So instead of uh, staying there, because we can stay get mad, we can get mad. We have to understand what is the actual problem. And as I begin to unpack and do even further research, what I'm realizing is there is a whole historical issue that's happened for years that people kind of want to forget. And we can talk about that a little later, but the point is the research that I've done led me to believe if we are going to change this narrative, we have to do things differently than have done, been done in the past. Most of the jobs that African-Americans were able to get right after the, the war had ended were still very similar to what they were doing before the war, working manual jobs, right. whether working cooking or cutting hair, all those different things like that. And the type of job... Uh, businesses they would start didn't make it easy to transfer wealth from generation to generation. So that, that right there led me to think, okay, we have to be better. We have to do some smarter. And to specifically talk about why venture capital, because when you solve a problem using technology, specifically um, technology entrepreneurship, when you solve a problem using technology, the person on the other end has no idea what color your skin is, what your accent is, where you come from. All they know of this is you solved a pain point or a business problem for them. And that's why I chose to use this platform because it eliminates the barriers, as I call them, barriers to contribution that exist in our culture. Brilliant, brilliant. Let me let me take a break here, and and just want to remind the listeners that that I do have another uh, eight week program launching in in the latter part of June, titled the Lifestyle Champion Cohort. We use the Zoom technology to do 90-minute weekly meetings, and the first 30 minutes is, is teaching, and then it's really group accountability and literally have people from coast to coast and border to border that are part of, of this group. There are three phases. The first is to evaluate. The second phase is equipping, and the third is to enjoy. In order to determine whether you're eligible or not, I'll just remind you that there is a 21-question assessment on my webpage, and, and that will de- make the determination whether, as to whether you're a mild, a moderate, or a severe case. If you're a mild or moderate, you're a good candidate for the Lifestyle Champion Cohort. If you're severe, we have some partnerships and relationships that we can get you help. For more information and to get our, our on, into our database, um, please text CHAMPION to 66866. Again, that's text CHAMPION to 66866. When you do that, I will also send you the my ebook that is titled The Five Common Mistakes When Pursuing Recovery. 
this is valuable for not only the person who's battling a substance use disorder or some sort of compulsive destructive behavior, but also to the loved ones. So it's titled The Five Common Mistakes When Pursuing Recovery. And again, to get that information, please just text CHAMPION to 66866. Again, that's CHAMPION to 66866. Dr. Paul, if someone wants to reach out to you after your moving testimony and, and some of the information you've shared here, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? They can go to our website, www.brownbenchergroup.com. And also LinkedIn is a, is a platform that's uh, is, uh, nice to engage. You can get connected to our, our group on, on LinkedIn, uh, brownventuregroup.com. You can find us there as well. Um, that's one of the main platforms that we use to communicate. Okay. And, and, and you also have your personal page, Dr. Paul Campbell, on, on LinkedIn also. Yeah. Uh, but brownventuregroup.com, ben, you've had a, what, about not quite a couple of years or is it, or is two it years, two years? Two years, yep. Okay. All right. And three, three just rock star guys are, are leading it. And, and so if we have a listener that, that may be interested in investing, is, is, is it limited to accredited investors or who's, who's eligible? Yeah, it's definitely uh, the accredited investors is a part of that due to some of the laws and regulations when it comes to that. Um, there's some work coming up pretty soon that maybe we can get change that up. But right now it's, um, it's accredited investors who, um, you know, who want to invest into the company. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, and so, so the two of us know a little bit about some of those guidelines and, and, and laws also me having a finance and energy background for sure. So let's, let's do a little bit deeper dive into what you term in this article that I, that I was reading historical amnesia. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what, what, what's, what's that mean? You know, Picking ourselves up by bootstraps is one of the references and in, in American ingenuity, you touched on the technological, but what, what, give me a little bit more uh, history on historical amnesia, if that's appropriate. Yeah. So historical amnesia, the concept is, is in light of uh, economic historical amnesia. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks, um, good people who don't understand the subject Say well, you know, my I didn't own slaves. My grandparents did. You know, I I didn't have any problem to. You know, I don't see color, and and that when you say I don't see color, that means you don't see the problems that actually persisted. And so essentially, what has been uh, implied uh, uh, and said sometimes, look, we didn't do. You should be over slavery. Slavery happened so long ago, it, it shouldn't affect you. You have no, you know, you just need to drop it because I'm not I'm not going to let you play a victim card. What the, when you when you think about it from current times now is we just had this economic stimulus package done, and you know people were saying that we're gonna, our children's children are going to be paying for this, right? So they had mathematical equations and great economists to look into that, and they said there's going to be a multi generational impact on on our economy. Well, what they've told us in our community is there is no multi generational effect of slavery, and there is. And not only the slavery, a lot of people think of slavery that was really bad, but what happened right afterwards in the uh, convict leasing was quite honestly worse because people were being killed without any um, respect of life because they could just find somebody new, go on the street and say, hey, you're a strong man. You probably did something wrong. You know, you're, let's go ahead and make these codes called black codes that would kind of handcuff you so we can really arrest you for any reason we want to, put you into these slave camps essentially, work you literally to death and then find somebody new. So 
when I talk about econ- uh, this, this artificial poverty, the ghetto itself was created by policies uh, known as redlining and uh, the black codes and Jim Crow laws and things like that. Now, people say, well, I don't understand. I, I picked myself up bootstraps. I'm, you know, I didn't, I'm fine. I'm, I'm able to, you know, um, move up the, the ladder, so to speak. But these laws uh, prevented voting. They prevented education. They prevented many things that if we had these rights taken away from today, we would, we would, you know, just throw arms. And this is the violation of our constitutional rights. And it's very interesting because, you know, this, it seems like there's a two different narratives in America. One is, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, life, liberty, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And the other one is slavery, you know, Native Americans, what we did to them, and a variety of different other things. But this artificial poverty that's been created today has made it harder for people of color to escape it. And that's why I use the word bears a contribution instead of using the word racism. If you say the word racism, people automatically are defending themselves. Right. If you say, hey, what are the barriers to contribution that these people are experiencing? Because I believe in my research has shown that it's not just African-Americans that have hurt from, from what's the suppression of black people. It's, it's all humanity because our contribution has been suppressed. And so, uh, you know, when, when officing with you, one of the things I saw that you did um, with we work in Haiti is that you, you saw early on, hey, we were sending stuff down to Haiti and it didn't make economic sense because we weren't buying from the local economy. And so you had this idea of we need to be smarter economically about this, you know, and so that whole idea of um, when helping hurts, right? Right. So uh, this economic thing of, of poverty in, in our America and how it's created is most of the stuff that's done today is just keeping people in poverty because they're, they're hurting people by making, they created policies a long time ago. They said you can't, you can't say, you know, slavery is still an issue while you're still here. And oh, by the way, here's um, some, you know, welfare or whatever it may be, because it requires that. Because poverty, as I said in the article, is an industry, and every industry has an economic incentive to keep itself in, in, in play, much like it had in Haiti. And so you start thinking differently, which I think we need to have more people think differently. Let's not just focus on the symptoms of poverty or, or racial inequality. Let's figure out what's the root cause. The root cause is that we have redline policies that uh, created disproportionate property values. And they basically literally said, you can't live in this neighborhood. And people say, well, how is coronavirus affecting African-Americans more? The neighborhoods that redlining actually uh, made happen were there and by industrial sites and places like that. In fact, if you take the redlining maps of the Twin Cities and you overlay them with what people have been touting as opportunity zones, they're virtually identical because wow. they're artificially created. And the reason I use the word artificial poverty is because I studying economy, you know, economics and Adam Smith and all the great you know, free market thinkers it's like we had selective capitalism. It, was, it wasn't always for everybody. It was for a specific group. That's why the title is Selective Capitalism, because if capitalism was really able to work, it would not care the color of the skin. It would go to where it should, you know, talent and resources, but not artificial suppression of, 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 of contribution. Yeah, and, we, and you, you've heard me say time and time again, we've created this chronic dependency yep. that is very profitable for those who are, who are at the forefront. There's, there's no question about it. One of the other things that, that I loved about your article, I, I, I shouldn't say I loved about it. It was, it was eye-opening for me, was just the reference of back in 1956, the, the route of Highway I-94 and how six, what did, what did you say? 600 African-American families were forced to move. So it destroyed the, quote, community that they enjoyed in, in, in that era. I had no hint living up there as long as I did. 
I had no hint that that was, you know, that was just another key indicator of disruption. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. wow. All right. Even even if you go to St. Louis and you see the the, the arch, I can't remember the exact name for it. That yep. that used to be a black community there too. They tore it down to build the arch. Wow. You know. And so, wow. and that goes back to the friendship. Yeah, you, you and I have a friendship. You have a perspective because you're able to talk to me. I'm a human. And that's why right. the dehumanization is the issue. Earlier on in my experience, I subconsciously learned that if I can humanize myself to even racist people, I heard people say to me, Paul, I don't like black people, but you're different. And I realized that's because I made myself human to them first. For sure. And, the, and then the people kind of rely on second, secondhand information of what African-Americans or white people are like either even versus saying, hey, I'm going to befriend somebody. I'm going to get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable and I'm going to talk to people and have tough conversations. Right. Okay. Where, as, as, as is often the case, I'm over, over my time, but I, I, I do, I, I'm, I want us to close out. I have a couple of things I want to say before we close out, but here's the question I'd like you to, to give us some feedback on is, is what are the two or three things that, that we as Christ followers can be praying for? But let me, let me close out with a couple of remarks and then we'll, we'll end with, with your response to that. So ladies and gentlemen, if, if, you or someone that you know is struggling today, battling a compulsive and destructive behavior, please don't wait another day to, to reach out for help. You can call me on my office number, which is 321-757-HOPE. That's 321-757-HOPE. Or call someone that you know and trust. Those who are dying are husbands, wives, sons, and daughters, and, and people love them. So today's the day. And I hope you found this information from Dr. Paul Campbell helpful today. Look for the replay of, of this to, to be available on the usual podcast distribution outlets like Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and, and others. And Dr. Paul, what, what are the two or three things that, that our listeners and, and supporters can, can be praying for? What, what comes to, to, to mind? What's on your heart? Well, you know, as, as a Christ follower and somebody who, who deeply cares about our community, I, I think we as believers need to shift our thinking between being, you know, a, American Christians and being Christian Americans, you know, and, and let Christ be the first point of our, 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 our conversation. Um, I think it's, it's something that it's, a lot of churches have been trying to do with what do we do in the community, you know, love God and love others. And what does it look like, you know, getting out there and helping people and, and befriending folks. So I think that the prayer for the Twin Cities is even peace, you know, the peace and prosperity and the prosperity, peace, you know, by going and loving your neighbor, cleaning up, prosperity by figuring out an economic engine that can actually make human flourishing for not just African-Americans, but for all people represented in our city. So that's a big prayer that, that we have. Right on. Right on. Okay. Well, as usual, it's been awesome, very informational, and I, I appreciate you taking time out of your crazy schedule to, to be with us. Um, thank you, listeners, and, and reach out to me at any time, 321-757-HOPE or at randymortensen.com. Thanks again. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. Airplane driver? Um, no, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh, their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next. 
whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. Do you hear that delicious sound? No, it's not the freshly fried patty of the crispy McChicken sandwich. Well, actually it is. But it's also the sound of a debt being paid. Because this golden crisp chicken could be the very first meal you treat your parents to. Yes, parental payback is now available in many delicious McDonald's deals. Like buy one, get one for a dollar. Every day at McDonald's, mix and match a new hot and spicy McChicken with classics like a McDouble, McChicken, or four-piece Chicken McNuggets. Price and participation may vary.